The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Maroon Friday edition of the Yard. Hope it's a payday for you. How cool would that be? Maybe it is payday. Maybe you're headed to Texas like me. I'm later leaving than I wanted to be. It's funny how life works. Have all these great plans. That's what I'm going to do. The next thing you know, things change. So, you know, it is what it is. Had to get some new shoes for the Stang and... All kind of stuff. You know how it is. If you don't get in there early, man, you're going to be there a while. But but, uh, but it is what it is. So, going to be heading the road here shortly. I'll spend uh, tonight in Houston and uh, see some family and then get up uh, tomorrow afternoon, I guess. Maybe I'll sleep late tomorrow. Head over to College Station, hopefully watch Mississippi State win a football game. That's a hope, anyway. I know a lot of people are kind of negative about the Bulldogs right now. I'm not negative, but uh, I'm, I'm like many of you guys. I'm... I'm you know, I guess I'm kind of skeptical at times and optimistic in others. I haven't forgot what Mike Leach has done everywhere else he's been. And I know other people are like, oh, Steve, you know. I mean, it's like, you know, here's the deal. And if you've ever gone into a situation where you had to kind of go implement your own system, whether it be, you know, sports or otherwise, it takes a little while. It does. And people say, well, you know, you ought to be able to kind of go out there and tailor your system to fit your players. Well, maybe so in some respects. But the reality of it is, is, you know, the only way to do it is the only way you know how. We didn't hire Mike Leach to come in here and run the option, run the spread option, the RPO. We hired him to run the air raid. And, this, and here's the thing, too. In this league, if you're Mississippi State, you have to be unique. You can't run Alabama schemes – without Alabama talent and expect to get Alabama results. That's the reality of life. We've, we tried that for years and years, right? It's, well, we're going to do the same thing Alabama's done. They're going to have better players than us, but we're going to try to get by on execution and maybe we catch them on a down year and we've got a senior-laden team. You know, in order for this thing to be sustainable at Mississippi State, we've got to be a bit creative. We do. We've got to be a little bit different. We're not always going to have the same level of talent, some of the big dogs in the Southeastern Conference. You know, we're, you know, we're, most years we're kind of middle of the road, talent-wise. And so in order to kind of maximize our talent, we've got to do some things schematically. It's a little bit different. That's one of the reasons that I love the 3-3-5 uh, the, the three, 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 defense. You don't see it that often. More times than not, you've got a week to prepare. So I've got to prepare a scout team to run the air raid and then I got to prepare a scout team to run kind of an exotic defense. And even though you may know the alignment, you don't know all the pressures. You don't know all the personnel. You don't know exactly what we're going to do with this guy from one week to the next because Zach changes some things up. Yes, there are some base defense concepts, but we change some things that are kind of specific to opponents. And it's just difficult. It's difficult when you see that defense basically once a year because everything changes. 
in many respects, like on the offensive line, your protections change. Because of the fact the alignments are a little bit different because you kind of never know where the pressure is coming from. It puts a lot of pressure on offensive line, which in turn puts pressure on a quarterback. And a lot of times we've seen it already in the year and a half that we've had this scheme under, under Zach is that, you know, you force some early throws. There are some errant pass attempts even when we don't quite get there because sometimes there is the perception of pressure. And so there's a lot to put in people's heads. And so I've just always felt like in football, we can't go out there, okay, we're just going to run a 4-3 cover two and we're going to run a pro-style offense and we're going to be great. We're not. We're not. We're not going to get to where we want to be running basic concepts. It's just not going to happen. You know, so I think we have to be a little more exotic than other people. Other people would say, well, you know, Steve, we're not really committed to football. And I've read some of this nonsense on the message boards and, and uh, on social media. We're not committed to football. You know, nothing could be further from the truth. I, I don't know maybe if we fully appreciate that or not. And, uh, you know, we're paying Mike Leach $5 million a year. And how many years, how many times did we have, you know, these discussions? It's like, well, we just need to pony up the money. We just need to go do it. We need to go out there and stop getting a retread or stop getting an up-and-coming, you know, coach or a coordinator. Let's go get a sitting Power 5 coach. Let's just pay the money to do it. We promise not to complain when parking passes go up a few bucks. We promise not to complain when season tickets go up a few dollars because we want to win. And so we've done that. We went out and did what we really have never done before. We went out and signed one of the most proven coaches in all college football. We're paying $5 million a year. And so right now, that is good for 16th nationally. 16th highest paid coach in all college football is right here at Mississippi State. Now, we've been in the top 10 before, of course, uh, you know, there's some people now, the numbers they're spending are absolutely ridiculous. I'm going to run this list down for you just so you see kind of who's ahead of Mike Leach and who's behind Mike Leach. Not the whole list, though, so bear with me. Nick Saban, the highest paid coach in college football, $9,300,000. That's crazy. I mean, it, you know, and probably worth every penny. I think everybody at Alabama would tell you, you know what? It's worth every penny. The number two highest paid coach in all of America, and, this, and you, when you hear this, you're going to kind of laugh a little bit, it's at Orgeron, eight million nine hundred and eighteen thousand five hundred bucks a year. His buyout is nearly twenty-four million dollars. So you know what, guys, you got to pay me. You want me gone? You got to pay me. Number three on the list, Dabo Swinney. Probably working, uh, you know, on on an increase there too. I'm mean, not having a great year that they'd hoped, but um, got two losses already, so they're out of the playoff, right? But they get he gets eight million three hundred nineteen thousand seven hundred seventy-five bucks. Uh, good work if you can get it. The school buyout for him. $50 million. 50. Number four, arguably one of the most highest paid and probably least return on investment coaches in all of college football, and I could argue the history of college football. Because at least the three guys ahead of him have won national championships. Jim Harbaugh, number four on your list, at just over $8 million, $8 million and change. His buyout is down to $6 million. So, Jim, you better get it together this year because they can find somebody for a lot less money to produce the, the results that you are producing. 
Number five on the list, a guy that's won a national championship at Florida State because he had a once-in-a-generation quarterback, Jimbo Fisher, 75, $7.5 million. They just extended that deal. His buyout, $53 million. Number six, another guy that hadn't won a national championship as a head coach, Kirby Smart. Probably a pretty good value for Georgia, all things considered. But $6,933,600 with a buyout of just south of $20 million. Gus Malzahn. This list is is last year, just so you guys know. Um, Gus Malzahn, who was at Auburn, no longer there, which I guess that that means technically Mike Leach moves up a little bit. But, um, you know, Gus is getting paid just under $7 million. Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma. Probably a little bit over uh, overpaid. Lincoln Riley, six million two hundred and two seven hundred twenty-six. Buyout of just south of thirty-one million. Gary Patterson at TCU. You, you want to talk about a guy that's probably laughing all the way to the bank? Gary Patterson hadn't won anything of note either. Six point one million dollars. Dan Mullen at Florida comes in at number ten on the list, just under that. $6,070,000. His buyout, $12 bucks. Dan Mullins made a lot of money coaching football. A lot. Uh, of course, Tom Herman was in Texas, so he's not there any longer, but he was making, you know, just over $5.8 million. Hook them horns. Right, Tom? Ryan Day last year, $5.651 million. His buyout, $45 million and change. Pat Fitzgerald making just over $5.2 million. Mel Tucker at Michigan State, uh, that's a joke. I mean, it really is. Mel Tucker has a great agent. You know, Mel Tucker's a guy that uh, basically left Colorado in a bit of a lurch out there, took a job at Michigan State after he said he wasn't going to do it, making just over $5 million. Uh, can you blame him? No, you can't. But that, that guy's obviously a little bit overpaid. Mark Stoops, I think, also overpaid, just over $5 million. His buyout's $23,750,000. And there's Mike Leach. And just behind Mike Leach is Scott Frost. David Shaw at Stanford, Kirk Ferentz at Iowa, Kyle Whittingham at Utah, Clay Helton no longer at USC, Will Muschamp no longer at USC or at South Carolina, Chip Kelly out there at UCLA, PJ Fleck at Minnesota. You know, so, you know, Leach is right there in the meaty part of the curve. So we are basically paying a college football coach more than we ever had in our history. And you say, well, Steve, that's basic economics. And there's probably some truth to that too. But rather than go on the cheap, and go out there and hire a coordinator. You know, go out there and hire a G5 guy. We went out there and hired you know, the most colorful guy in all of college football. Got it's put up some tremendous numbers. A guy that has an exotic offense. And we went and wrote the check. And then we're giving our assistant coaches the highest, pal- uh, highest pool of salary that we've ever produced for assistant coaches. And so when I hear these, ah, oh, you know, we're not committed to football. No, 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 that's, that's not true. Dr. Keenum, Director of Athletics, John Cohen, have made a tremendous financial commitment to football, not to mention all the, uh, the upgrades and amenities that we have put together here in the last few years. It's not like we built the SEAL Junior Complex and just kind of left it. You know, they just upgraded a lot of things in there kind of aesthetically and also, too, to kind of enhance, you know, the player experience. And so those things have been taken care of. And so, you know, when you hear these things, you know, listen, there's enough to be upset about, right? We're 2-2, two and two, should be 4-0, and oh, could be 1-3. and three. We're not often running the way we wanted to be. But to suggest that the administration 
is not committed to football. It's just absolute silliness. I was like, well, you know, yeah, well, we got our NFL championship in baseball. Are you kidding me? You would trade that? You would trade that NFL championship? I would trade it for anything. Well, you know, I wish we'd make a little more of a commitment to football. No, no, no. no. The commitment is there. Not to mention baseball at Mississippi State is self-sustaining in many respects. So there's a lot of times, you know, people kind of get in their feelings and we say a lot of things that don't make a lot of sense. And those are a couple parts of them. And so there's going to be, you know, rumors and wars and rumors of wars and all that sort of stuff that's going to go on. I just encourage you to, you know, let's just see what happens with the year. But nobody's going to go anywhere. I mean, we're in year two. And you could argue last year, in many respects, that didn't count. All the restrictions and everything else, I don't know how you can properly judge a first-year coach. You know, you can say, hey, Steve, you know, Sam Pittman did this, Lane Kiffin did that. It's true. Eli Drinkwitz did it, too. We beat, we beat Eli. Should have beat Lane, too. We didn't. They won the game. Made the play to win. Got to give them credit. Don't want to, but I will. And so I say all that to say this, is that uh, we need to go in a football game this weekend. We absolutely do. Thank our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company. Longtime sponsors of this show, man. Love Bulldog Burger Company. Loved it before they were sponsors of this show. That's why it made such a good marriage for me. I already knew them pretty well. We'd already dated a little bit. And so Bulldog Burger Company is a great place to go bring your family, to have a business meal. If you want to impress a colleague or something, you can say, well, Steve, it's Bulldog Burger. I can promise you. You bring somebody in there, let them order a cold one, have a great restaurant-quality hamburger, you're closing that deal. Everybody loves a great hamburger. Everybody. And if you're not in the mood for a hamburger, you can get that sweet heat chicken sandwich or get that BLT salad. You get it grilled or fried, whatever you'd like. You're not going to finish it. I'm going to be honest with you. If, you. if you do, I'm impressed. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive right here in Start Vegas. Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. And the brand new one, Lake Harbor Drive there in Ridgewood. You're going to love that place. One of the things I love at Bulldog Burger Company, too, is like, Everything is kind of branded well. You know what I'm saying? It's like you go in there, it's like all the descriptions of the hamburgers, you know, the names, they're, they're, they're memorable. But also, too, it's like when you see that sign, you know exactly where you are. Everything is just kind of unique to Bulldog Burger Company. A lot of people out there just kind of pass off, uh, you know, kind of a generic way of doing business. Bulldog Burger Company does it their own way. It's the way you want it done. Have the spring rolls as your appetizer. They'll make you and everybody around you better looking. Maybe get that chocolate shake to go. Hey, it's a cheat day, right? Get your money's worth. If you're going to cheat, cheat all the way. Have the appetizer. Have a great restaurant-quality burger and get that shake to go. You're going, to want, you're, going, you're going to want a little something sweet when you go anyway. Check it out. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. I want to spend a little time talking about, you know, Emmanuel Forbes, a few other things. A lot of people are curious, okay, what's his availability? So I'm told that he's available. He practiced this week. He was in a non-contact jersey, but he did practice this week. Expected to travel with the team. And, of course, he wants to play. If you know anything about Emmanuel Forbes Jr., everybody calls him Jr. If you know anything about him, the guy wants to play. The guy wants to win. The guy wants to help Mississippi State. So, if he can play, he's going to play. And the fact that he was out there running around in a non-contact jersey tells me that, uh, you know, the trainers obviously feel good about where he is. But I was told uh, just yesterday – you know, both players that were involved in that big collision, Fred Peters and Emmanuel Forbes, both available this week. You know, so we'll see how things go. Now, and here's the thing, too. It's like it's not like you hear that in a press conference. You know, when you, when you hear it privately from people that should know, you feel a little bit better about that information. You know, like, like Mike Leach says on Monday, hey, we're all always available. 
as much as I like Mike, I, I don't know that I believe that, Mike. Because I know that Brandon Ruiz isn't, isn't playing. You know, Brandon Ruiz probably out a couple more weeks. And uh, talked about this on the radio earlier this week. You know, really, and I hate to say we haven't missed him because there's a reason he was the first-team kicker, right, because he was better. But Scott Goodman has done a tremendous job kicking off, done a great job. McCord is uh, three of four. Missed a big one last week, sure. But let's not throw the, uh, you know, the baby out with the bathwater. He was three of four. before. Made three in a row before that. And he's a guy, too, that Matt Brock says, you know, he's really kind of a calm, collected guy. But I don't expect Brandon Ruiz to make the trip. I do expect Emmanuel Forbes to make the trip. Outside of that, I think we're, I think we're healthy. I mean, you, you know, it's not like last year. Like last year, it's like every time you turned around, you, you couldn't feel good about anything because you just never knew who was going to test positive. You know, it's like we would talk last week, last year. I talked to people on staff, talked to people, you know, that would have knowledge of the situation. They would never give you any names. But it's like to give you numbers. Okay, here's the threshold. We met the threshold. We're under the threshold, but we're going to play anyway. And it's so funny, too, I think about, you know, how many times last year Mississippi State go play a ball game with, you know, 40-some-odd players, you know, help the SEC make a little TV money, help our guys get a get some experience, give our fans something to cheer about, right? And the way they pay us back is uh, a couple bad calls. So thanks, guys. But Mike Leach, I think, uh, really got better as a coach last year for us down the stretch. My hope is that it happens this year as well. I know many of you have the same hope. But when I look at this team going into this A&M game, I really think we have a chance. Now, I say that right out of the gate. Yeah, you, you call me a homer. I don't care. I don't care. I've been called a lot worse than that. But let me just tell you this. This is not a great Texas A&M team. And that's what really kind of gives me the hope. Number one, the weather's going to be a bit of an issue, too. It's supposed to rain most of the day on Saturday. So I expect a lower scoring game. I think defensively that we're going to be able to give Calzana a lot of trouble. I, re- I really do. And I think the weather probably helps us in that regard. I think, you know, they're a team that wants to run the football. They wanted to give – and the, the, the name the, – the number two back, the 5'9 guy that's the speedster, it's A-Chain. That's his name. Last name is A-Chain. So – they want him to kind of get out there in space and burn the edges a little bit. So he's a different back. He's more of a scat back, kind of compliments Spiller. Uh, I, I've been an Isaiah Spiller fan, man, since the day he got to College Station, Texas. I think that guy is a pro. I think he's probably a first or second round draft pick. We did a pretty good job against him at times last year, but when the game was on the line, they just turned and gave it to him and let him run behind that big, experienced offensive line. They put the game away. Well, that line is struggling this year. You know, they got some new faces and some new places. We absolutely slant and stunt a lot. That's a lot to take on. We run blitz a lot. So we got to be really aggressive on first down. In order for us to win on third down, and I think in order you know, to really kind of make uh, Calzon do, you know, kind of Calzana to kind of put, throw you to football, you've got to put him in some obvious passing downs. You got to put him behind a change. You got to get him in second, third, and long. So you got to win on first down. We did a really good job against NC State doing that. Did a really good job against LSU. Now, we gave up some third downs last week, I mean, and we still were, were really good on third down. But there were some key third downs in that ball game that we allowed a conversion. Well, that can't happen this week. Now, I don't think we're playing nearly as talented as a team. I know what the recruiting rankings say, and that's only part of the equation. 
you know, I, I don't look at anybody on that team and think to myself, okay, we don't have anybody that can match up. Because just like with LSU, I think we can match up on the corners. If Forbes is anywhere close to 100%, I would say that's an advantage Mississippi State. I really do. Because I think the ball placement has to be perfect. You know, when you're, when you're playing against guys like Martin Emerson and Emmanuel Forbes, your ball placement better be on target. Or you better hope they slip or fall or make a mistake and give your receiver a chance to get a little separation. Because I just don't think in a 50-50 ball they're going to win. I don't think they win those situations. Emmanuel Forbes last, last week paired up on the fade. Breaks a pass up. Sometimes you got to lay a ball up there and hope your guy go make a play. Our guy had him inside position. He makes a play. It's time to go punt football. So you're not playing as talented a quarterback, and you're not playing a talented as receiver group. That's not to say that A&M doesn't have some good receivers. just not on the same level of LSU. So I'm eager to kind of see how we match up with them over the course of that ball game. I think we'll do a good job against the run, and he's going to get some. You know, that's just kind of part of it. They're going to hand the ball off a lot. But what we need to do at Mississippi State is get a lead. We need to get a lead and get a little bit of separation, put a little more pressure on the quarterback, force him to make some plays. And listen, listen, he's a, he's a physical athletic guy, but they don't do a lot of quarterback runs with him. Every so often they'll do something – I mean, more times than not, if he didn't see it, he'll kind of tuck it and go. But so not a lot of design quarterback runs. You don't necessarily have to account for him in a run game very often. Sometimes you do, but not very often. We have to make him be a quarterback. We can't let him be an athlete. We've got to make him be a quarterback. I don't think he can make those throws that Johnson made last week. I just don't, especially considering it may be damp weather. That's an important factor in this ballgame, too, and I think that's going to keep the score down even lower. Could be similar to what we saw last year against Tulsa, which was a miserable game that we won, mind you. It was such a fun game, we continued to play after it was over. But this A&M defense is legit. Now, they don't force a lot of turnovers, and considering some of the schools they played, it kind of makes you question things a little bit. But here's the deal. You know, we've turned it over a little more than we should have. You know, a couple of our turnovers have been, you know, just a lack of execution. You know, it's not like, oh, this ball tipped the line and it's picked off. You know, we've had a couple picks. We've had some fumbles that have really hurt us too. And, again, those are guys trying to make a play. You know, it's not just mishandling a football. You know, sometimes things happen, you know. you got an oval football out there rolling around with points on it. Doesn't always bounce your way. But we can't go out there and turn the football over. We can't give them the short end of the field. As I shared with you guys on Wednesday show, very, very good in the kicking game. Also, amazing in the return game. Amazing. I believe a non-offensive touchdown could be the difference in the ball game. Whether that be a pick six for us, punt return for them, I don't know. But when you've got a game where offense is really at a premium and the conditions are not you know, kind of lending itself to a great offensive day, those are the things you think about. How do we go out and get a play? How do we make a play? How do we get a score? So we've got to be smart in our return game. We've got to be smart in how we handle it when we're returning. We've got to be smart in when we're kicking. That's another thing I think about, too, is you know, you've, a lot of people, well, you know, it's, you know, they get a lot of touchbacks, but what do they do when it's raining? It's a little more difficult. Maybe that opens up an opportunity for Tulu. And it's one of those things, too, I think, 
not just because of the fact that our offense has struggled at times to put uh, the ball in the end zone, but in many respects, Tulu Griffin's kind of taken on a little bit of that Kevin Prentice feel. He's not there yet. But, you know, like when KP was back to receive a kick or a punt, you know, you almost kind of – you didn't want to go get a drink yet. He's like, you know, something big might happen here. And that's kind of how Tulu has become too. It's like, hey, we, we want you to kick. Give us a chance to return it because there's, there's a good possibility we might score. But he's not there yet. But he kind of kind – there's that same kind of mystique in some respects. You know, it's like, how does a guy this size consistently do such a good job returning to football? You know, they, they kick it, we bring it back. I mean, he had, a, you know, of course, the big return game against Tulsa. Had the big return, you know, against Louisiana Tech. It's brought a comeback. Had the big return against NC State. So now he's a known commodity. And so people are kicking away from him, which, again, kind of changes the dynamic. You want to go out there and, as, as Mike uh, – excuse me, as, as Matt Brock calls it, you know, the junk kicks – you want to go out there and kick it out of bounds or squib kick it down the middle, you're basically gifting us better field position. You know, and there's going to be some teams out there that struggle to put the ball in the end zone that are going to employ those tactics. And so as a result, we can kind of benefit. That's what having a guy like that does for you. That makes people kind of account for him in a return game. So nothing is really routine. You can't take a playoff. You can't just assume, well, we'll just, you know, we'll kick it down there and go play defense. No, you might, you might be back on offense. We'll go right down and score. But it's going to boil down to something like that. I, I, I picked it 2017, and I'm picking the Bulldogs. I'm picking the Bulldogs, and I'll tell you why. I think at the end of the day, defense versus defense is probably a push. Might even favor Mississippi State a little bit. Running game clearly favors A&M, clearly. Not just schematically, but personnel-wise. And that's not to say that Woody Marks and, and DJ aren't great players. Isaiah Spiller at this point is just more polished, more well-rounded, more proven. So the running game certainly favors them. Now, run defense, I think it favors us. It didn't really matter as much for them because we just don't run it that much. But I think we can slow them down. I think we can put the game in Calzana's hands, and that's what we're going to have to do to win the football game. But I think it's going to boil down a quarterback play. I believe we have the better quarterback. I believe we have the smarter quarterback. I believe we have a guy that makes good decisions. Does he hang on to football sometimes too long? Yes, he does. But we've got a maturing quarterback. You've got two young quarterbacks here trying to figure this thing out. Will's got more experience. We're going on the road. And maybe getting away from Starkville is a good thing. But I think in the end, Will Rogers will make a play for us to win this football game. I do. And you go back and look at the numbers, and, you know, the numbers are the numbers. And the bottom line, the only numbers that really matter are points. And so we can move it between the 20s, but we've got to find a way to get the ball in the end zone. Does that mean we've got to make big plays? I don't, you know, maybe. And that's what people kind of do against us is they're trying to do all they can to prevent the big play. So they're willing to kind of give us the run a little bit. We took advantage of that against LSU. Put up almost 500 yards of offense. And if you had known before the ball game we are going to put up about 500 yards worth of offense, you'd say we won a ball game. But we didn't. We left a lot of points on the field, and we have every week. And that's just about growing up, maturity, having some continuity, finding some cohesion as a staff. Offensive line played really well last week. We're not going to – again, going to see some guys. There's some war daddies over there at A&M. Don't get me wrong. They've recruited well as of late, especially on the defensive line. But they're not better than LSU. They haven't recruited better than LSU. 
when it comes to you know the defensive front. So if we can stand up against LSU, we ought to be able to stand up against A&M. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year, managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup, putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with Smart Money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. I tried the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there, and just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tecovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing, the versatility of Tecovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tecovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tecovis believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tecovis boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. And so, again, I'm picking State. I, I, I picked it 20-17. to 17. I do think it's a close ball game. Probably goes down to the final possession. But I think in the end, State has the better quarterback. And it doesn't matter from Pee Wee's to the pros. That's usually the case. The team with the better quarterback usually wins the ball game. I also think that Zach Arnett is a guy that kind of specializes in confusing people and forcing them into a decision-making process much, much earlier in the process. And so I think, I believe at this point, the Mississippi State can and will go down to College Station, Texas, and come home with a victory. Time for today's top ten list, brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's right, CloseWithBlair.com. You want your lawn closed? Of course you do. You need to go with Blair Chandler. The guy's a winner. Top 1% close ratio in the country. In the industry, not just at his branch, 
not just with his company, Fairway Mortgage, nationally. You want to deal with the winner? Blair Chandler is the way to go. Visit him at closeofblair.com. One of those situations where, you know, here's the deal. It's complicated getting a mortgage. For some of us, it's more complicated than others. So deal with somebody who's dealt with complex cases. Somebody that's dealt with basically every potential borrower you could possibly imagine and found a way to get those loans closed. And maybe you're not ready to buy today. Maybe you need to put yourselves in a position to buy in the future. Visit Blair at closeofblair.com or call or text today. Blair Chandler, his phone number, 601-500-2344. 601-500-2344. And here's what you're going to do. By being a loyal Boneyard listener, we're going to reward you. Whether you're looking to buy your home for the first time, look, it's a second mortgage, perhaps it is a refi, Blair will pay for your appraisal. Just by mentioning that you heard this ad on the Boneyard, you, can, you don't have to do it verbally. You can text it to him. You can email him. You can go to the website, fill out the form there, and say, hey, I heard about you on the Boneyard, Mississippi State's best podcast, and he'll pay for your appraisal. It's about a $300 value, 300 bucks. There's a lot of fees that go along with that. Save some money by working with Blair just by being a listener of the Boneyard. Again, that's Close with Blair, B-L-A-I-R, CloseWithBlair.com. Okay, so somebody reached out to me and said, hey, Steve, October 1st is National Dreadlocks Day. I don't know if it's true or not because every day is different, right? Every day is a national day of something, right? So I don't know if it's National Dreadlocks Day or not. It's Dreadlocks Day every day for me. Because what's interesting, too, is like I meet people and they say, oh, you didn't look how I expected you to look. Well, let me fill you in. I'm 6'2", 215 pounds. I've got both arms sleeved in tattoos and uh, the lower left legs sleeved as well. Still working on torso. I'll get there. Got a lot of tattoos. Wear my sunglasses most of the time. And so I don't want it to be some surprise to you. It's who I am. If I make it to December 10th, I'll have been clean and sober 30 years. So, no, if you see me out at the fast break at uh, 1 in the morning coming home from a ball game, no, I don't know where you can buy some weed. I don't. But that's who I am. That's what I'm about. I believe in recovery. I'm an advocate for those who are the still-suffering addicts and their families and all those who love them. Hope that you guys find some peace and some serenity. But I, I started growing my hair out officially Back in 2012, again, it's never been as long. It's as long as it's ever been. This is the coolest version of me that's ever been. And so I hadn't had an official haircut since 2012. Started letting my hair dread in 14. And uh, now you, you see what it is. And initially I had 13. 13 dreads. And I don't know how many I have now. Somewhere over 20. But I had 13, so I thought that was a good number. It's always, it's always a method to the madness. You know what I'm saying? So, so they said, hey, Steve, I know you, you have dreads, and October 1st is National Dreadlocks Day. And, again, I have no clue if that's even accurate, but I like the topic. So we're going to do 10 of my favorite bands that have or had dreads, right? You with me? And uh, I didn't put Lenny Kravitz on the list, who actually was kind of my inspiration to get dreads. It wasn't corn, as some people will suggest. I go some places and they say, hey, you look like Jonathan Davis some corn. There's probably a little bit of resemblance, 
When I was at Rocklahoma, one of his high school classmates told me the same, took a picture and sent it to him. And J.D. said, yeah, it's pretty cool. So thanks, J.D. Thank you very much. All right, so Lenny didn't make the list, but not because Lenny is not deserving. It's just I wanted to go with bands more so than individuals. We've already done a top 10 Lenny Kravitz list. I could pretty easily you know, put you another one together, too. I love the Lenny Kravitz catalog. That's one of the great things about Lenny Kravitz records. You know, sometimes you go get, you download an album or you go buy a CD, it, for those of you that still do, and you hear like a couple singles and then the rest of the album is filler. That's not with Lenny Kravitz. He is an artist, man. I love Lenny Kravitz. I think he is the coolest person alive. All right, so here we go. Number 10, and I, this is a rock list all the way. And also, too, I have got, uh, I've got a country music expert, too, that uh, is going to help me with some of your requests on the countryside. And because I want to do this list justice, too, because occasionally I'll miss a big hit because I'm not really familiar with the genre. It's not that I'm anti-country. It's just not my thing. But I do like some. I do like Corey Marks, too. I want to share that with you guys, too. I shared that with a friend yesterday. If you've never listened to Corey Marks, he's got a second album out now. It's called uh, Nights in Nashville, I believe, or Nashville Nights. I haven't listened to it yet. I'm going to listen to it on the way to College Station, Texas. But the first album is great. The song uh, Outlaws and Outsiders with Travis Tritt. Uh, and Ivan Moody is great. And Mick Mars from Motley Crue plays the guitar solo on that song. Pretty cool. But uh, great duet also with Lizzie Hale. You guys, uh, Lizzie's got some new fans because of the show, man. I had so many people that reached out to me when, on the, when I, I included Lizzie Hale uh, singing I'll Always Love You. And they're like, oh, my gosh, Steve, I, I'd never heard of her. She's tremendous. She is. You owe it to yourself to listen to Hellstorm. We should probably do a Hellstorm top 10 for all you new Lizzie Hale fans. But she has a duet with Corey Marks on his debut album called Out in the Rain. And uh, I'll be honest with you guys, like the first few times I heard that song, man, I got a little emotional. That's how great the song is. There's some authenticity in every bit of that. And the video, too, is kind of about addiction, too. So you can go find a video online at YouTube. That's uh, Corey Marks, Out in the Rain. So Corey doesn't have dreads, but these bands do. And I wanted to start strong. A lot of times the list, you know, it kind of builds and builds and builds. This one is like all killer, no filler. And let me throw you guys a bone too. Bush, our top 10 Bush list. How about this? It's one of the top 10 most downloaded lists we've ever had. More impressions on that one than anything we've had in the last couple months. It's been a couple months since we've had a new top 10 member. It's now Bush. And I knew that Bush was going to kill. I knew it. Bush was great. They're still great. They're not as good as they once were because, you know, the music has changed a little bit. But Bush was great. So thanks so much for your support of the Bush list. We love Bush. All right, number 10, Living Color. Corey Glover, lead singer, Living Color, uh, had dreads at the time. I don't think he still does. But if you're going to talk Living Color, you got to go cult of personality. Even though one of my favorite songs by them is, uh, you know, Open Letter to a Landlord. I, I love that song. But uh, the cult of personality that is an iconic song. It was a huge song, and it was an important song for a lot of reasons because, number one, it talked about a lot of history. But, you know, metal, by and large, despite the fact that it, in its infancy, kind of came from rhythm and blues. You know, people like Chuck Berry and, you know, a lot of the blues players and things like that. So there were a lot of elements, you know, in African-American music that helped, you know, birth rock and roll. And then so metal, in many respects, was kind of like an all-white thing. And so if you had Rocky, Rocky and Suicidal Tendencies. But Living Color hit the scene, man, and everybody was like, holy smokes. And you got Vernon Reed over there just shredding on guitar. Like, who are these guys? 
So we're going to go cult of personality to get this list rolling right, right in your face. Number nine, one of my favorite industrial rock bands of all time, Al Jorgensen, the lead singer of Ministry. When I was uh, in a little bit of a uh, dance band years ago, putting my own little outfit together, we covered a ministry song called Every Day is Halloween. That didn't make the list. The one that makes this list is Just One Fix off the Psalm 69 album. It's Just One Fix from Ministry. Number eight, one of my favorite bands, of more modern rock bands for sure. I've met Jesse multiple times. Jesse used to have some incredible dreadlocks. I've talked to him about it and uh, stopped short of calling him a quitter. I'm like, Jesse, dude, why did you give up? Why did you leave us? Why did you leave the tribe of the dreadlocks? And he said, you know, to be honest with you, Steve, I missed them many times. But this is a lot easier. And he's right. It, is a lot, it does, does take a lot of maintenance at times to hold these things up. So not, uh, 10 years, we'll do a 10 years list at some point. If you don't know 10 years, you, you are really, 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 really missing out on a great band. They're out of Knoxville, Tennessee. I, if I were you, I would start with, the, I wouldn't start, the Autumn Effect is the first album. I wouldn't start there. They were still kind of trying to find a sound a little bit. Some good moments in that album. I would probably start with uh, Division or Feeding the Wolves. But today, we're going to go with a song off of the Feeding the Wolves album. It's Now is the Time. Now is the Time from 10 Years. It's got a lot of bass in it, too. Not the distorted bass, either. Like, if you're riding down the road, and all of a sudden, they get into that chorus, and the bass picks up, and you're like, where'd that come from? That's where it is. All right, number seven, Nine Point. Elias Soriano is the lead singer from Nine Point. I've met all these guys. I've met Elias multiple times. Very down to earth and so eager to talk about his music. There are a lot of people, you know, you kind of catch them casually and, you know, they want to talk about other things. But uh, Elias, you say, hey, man, I like this song. What's kind of the story behind it? He's happy to tell you. The, I decided to go with a Boneyard classic. Like, if we ever did a Boneyard soundtrack, and maybe we should, Roy, maybe we should put, like, the soundtrack of the Boneyard. Because we used to, if you recall, we used to have some intro music, right? This is one of the songs that at one time served as the intro music to the Boneyard. It's Breaking Skin from Nonpoint. Also a song about addiction. The video itself is kind of a PSA, you know, for young people that are struggling with some experimental drugs in the methamphetamines world. Number six, even though he has cut his dreads, I still consider him part of the family. It's uh, Sonny from POD. We had a POD list here recently. Uh, I dig POD. You should too. And because of the fact I thought it just simply fit the list, because this is a rocking list. I mean, this will get you through your weekend. This will put some hair on your chest. We're going with boom. Boom. And, that, again, we just talked POD a few weeks back. But it's a great one. And I love that first album, The Fundamental Elements of Southtown. I think you guys will, too. The song Southtown is great, too. But uh, we're going boom today. Number five, going back to the early 90s. One of the first people that I remember, you know, kind of in modern music, you know, having dreadlocks, you know, because there was a while there, nobody really did that. But it's Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails. And if you're going to talk about Nine Inch Nails, you got to start with Head Like a Hole. I think that song fits the list. I almost went with Wish right here, but uh, some language in there that I didn't really want to include on the list because I know many of you, I've had a couple people say, hey, you know, Steve, give me a little heads up here because I listen to these lists in the car and I don't always know these songs. So, but Head Like a Hole. That's the one that kind of started it for Trent Reznor, Nine Inch Nails. And um, I, like many of you, I had an NIN sticker on my car for years. 
Love Nine Inch Nails. Trent Reznor is a modern day composer. Doesn't get, get, doesn't get enough respect from this generation. He, he's in Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And then you never hear about him anymore. It's crazy. Number four, another guy that people tell me that I sometimes look like is Rob Zombie. And so if I'm going to talk about Rob Zombie, I'm going to go all the way back. I'm going back to the White Zombie. I'm going to that first album that really broke into the mainstream. And we're going to go with Thunder Kiss 65. I, I am so upset that we have not talked about that song on the show before. That's the real deal right there. You're looking for, you're looking for real rock, man. That's where it is. Now, Rob and White Zombie got a little different. You know, when they went to Astro Creep 2000, you got a little more industrial in many respects. It was still loud and aggressive and obnoxious. But Thunder Kiss 65, Black Sunshine, all that stuff, just great stuff. But Thunder Kiss 65, that's the one for me for White Zombie. Number three, and I started talking about I was going to put this list together. And everybody that I spoke to and said, hey, I'm going to do a dreadlocks list on Friday, everybody mentioned this band. Every single person mentioned our buddy LJ from Seven Dust. LeJean Witherspoon, I've met him to, without a doubt, the most down-to-earth rock star I have ever met in my life. Ever. It's a great guy. I'm in Rocklahoma. He sees me walking into the venue. He's outside driving a golf cart around, going to the meet and greet, calls me over and says, hey, man, I want to meet you. Let's talk for a minute. I think he thought I was in a band, but I wasn't. But we hung out for a while. Great guy. So we're going with uh, we're going with a great song off of the album Cold Day Memory. I was a little bit late to the Seven Dust bandwagon, but once I got there, I got on their lock, stock, and barrel. I love this song. I could have gone with some of their more prominent hits, but I wanted to go with one that I did. it really has always kind of spoke to me. My favorite Seven Dust song is Black. This is probably... In my top five, Seven Dust, it's uh, it's Unraveling. Unraveling is your number three song today. Number two, you know, we couldn't do a list of dreadlocks without corn, right? They had the tour with Rob Zombie called Return of the Dreads. They're great. Uh, Brian Headwelch was the first one with dreads, and then Monkey came along, and then JD, and then Fildy. Fildy's kind of on hiatus. Uh, Dave's not in the band. He was always the short-haired guy that looked like he should be the manager. Ray is a better drummer anyway, and I don't think you'll ever see a full reunion of the glory years of Korn just because I think Ray is a better drummer than David. So that's where we are. And, again, I could have gone with uh, one of their bigger hits. You know, many of you are expecting Freak on Leash here. I, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to kind of open the catalog up just a little bit and go back a few years. This actually made the Greatest Hits album. And uh, Monkey Schaefer is, uh, was kind of the – the wheels on the bus on this one and it's i did my time i did my time from corn your number two song on today's top 10 list number one the singer had dreads i suspect he still does one of the most important bands of my lifetime it's rage against the machine zach de la roca i was gonna actually if uh if my daughter mia would have been a boy she would have been named zach not zachary not Zacchaeus, Zach, after Zach de la Roca. It's how important it was to me. Rage Against the Machine may not always agree with their politics, but I appreciate the fact that they are not out there always just, uh, you know, you know, singing about you know parties and things like that. I mean, some red stuff's important too, but Rage Against the Machine, in many respects, is kind of the voice of my generation and uh, kind of demanded to be heard. I mean, they were, they were one of the big Gen X bands. There's no question about it. And so, again, I could have gone with a hit. I, I went with one off the first album, 
and we I first had it on cassette, and it was the first song on the second side. And it's Know Your Enemy. I love that riff. I think it's uh, it's one of those things right in your face, too. It's perfect. It's a perfect song. So there you go. That's your top ten list today. If you've got an idea for top ten list, reach out, let me know. And again, again, I don't know if it's National Dreadlocks Day or not, but it is here. It is Dreadlocks Day on the Boneyard. So there's your there's there's ten songs from the top ten bands, Dreadlocks, and some of those you guys are going to be unfamiliar with somewhat, and you're going to be you're going to love them, and you're going to dig them, and then uh, you're going to thank me someday. So there you go. There's your top ten list. All right, so let's uh, let's move along to picking the rest of the league. Brought to you by Campus Bookmart. Great people, great prices, great selection. Come to town, see standing man Miss Kathy Brown, lovely, talented Susie, and Miss Pam Minyard. Saw her last night at the Starville Touchdown Club, our quarterback club. Good to see her as always. And so go in. You can see her too. I'm glad she's there because she's with. She's basically with family, right? Miss Pam moved to Starville, done a great job, and uh, really happy that she's there. And uh, I know, I guess she'd been there a couple weeks. Miss Kathy Brown said, hey, do you know if Pam's liking it here? And I was like, how could she not? And so doing a great job there. So go by and see them. And um, so if you can't make it to town to see them, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. It's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. You heard that right. Beautiful Steve Robertson. Campusbookmart.net. Free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. All right, so let's look around the league. going to be a good weekend, I think. I mean, you know, every weekend that we have some football is a good thing. But uh, I think this is going to be a special weekend in many respects. you got some great games, mostly, mostly. SEC play. That's people messaging me saying, hey, are we getting a boneyard today? Yeah, I'm, I'm late. And it's life on life's terms at this place, man. I'm sorry. All right, so let's open up. Early on, you got Arkansas at Georgia, and that's the 11 a.m. game. And a lot of you are thinking, oh, man, why is that 11 a.m.? Kind of the same reason State and LSU were. You know, it's basically the third pick, right? Even though it's two top ten teams, you get a lot of eyeballs on the game on ESPN. So, you, know, you get the CBS game. You get the, the primetime ESPN game, and now you got the 11 a.m. game. So Arkansas is at Georgia. Arkansas is a top-10 team, really in ranking only. Now, you say, Steve, I mean, come on, they've done – yeah, they have. They have. I think they're top-10 at this point in the season. I don't think they'll end up there, you know, if we were in the conference play. And I, th- I think in many respects the bloom kind of comes off the rose this week, and that's not to suggest Arkansas is a bad team. Because, again, I think at the beginning of the year, I said they got a good chance to maybe be 8-4. and four. This is one of those four. And, again, I think Arkansas is a team, too, that's going to boil down to matchups. Teams that struggle to stop the quarterback run are going to struggle against Arkansas. If they can keep KJ healthy, they got a chance to do some pretty cool things. But I don't think it happens this weekend in Georgia. I, mean, I, I love Georgia. I told you guys at the beginning of the season, I think Georgia wins the SEC, gets to the playoff, and has a real chance to win an Apple championship. I think they are the best team in the country right now. Right now. Very, very athletic on defense. So I think they can handle the quarterback run. I think that that group of linebackers are just phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal, to quote Ben Howen. Um, So I think Georgia slows Arkansas down. I don't know that Arkansas has the athletes on defense to match up with Georgia on the outside. 
and you know Georgia wants to run the football too. So, you know, bumper pull, maybe you got it, puts up some big numbers this week against Georgia. I just don't think Arkansas will, will be able to score with Georgia. I like Georgia to win this game, and I, I think Georgia probably covers, probably with a little bit of ease. I don't think it's a blowout, but I don't think there's any question late in this ball game who the better team is. Now, could be a really entertaining game over on the SEC network as you're flipping back and forth. If you do like I do when I'm home, I'll put one game on one tuner, another on the other, and I'll flip back and forth, and I'll watch those games during commercial breaks because I'm anti-commercial during college football. I mean, it's life, right? You get commercials here too. I know there's got to be a way to pay for all this stuff, right? So Tennessee is at Mizzou. I think that's going to be a very, very entertaining ball game. Missouri has been really strong on offense, one of the best quarterbacks in the Southeastern Conference. But they have had trouble stopping people. If they could have got a stop last week, they beat BC on the road. They could have got a stop earlier this year against Kentucky. They're, you know, they're undefeated. You know, it's like, but those plays count, right? If, if, if. They didn't do it. They didn't make the plays. Tennessee is a team I think is still looking to find their identity. It was a big test for them last week. They got off to such a good start against Florida. And then Dan Mullen and Emory Jones absolutely destroyed them in the second half. So is there a carryover from that? You get all emotionally invested in playing, you know, a signature type opponent like Florida, and you get blasted, and then you got to go on the road the next week. Those are things you look at. It's like, you know, when you've got a team like Tennessee that's really not used to winning, you know, what's the psyche of that team? Because looking at their records here, I mean, you know, let's, let me just take a quick look at this. You know, they struggled week one for a half against Bowling Green. Then they got it together in the second half. They went 38-6. They lose at home to Pitt. We called that here on the Boneyard. They blast Tennessee Tech as they should, 56-0. And then Florida gets them 38-14. They host South Carolina next week. You know, so it's not like they've got another one of those big matchups. But it's one of those games, too, you look at and say, hey, we've got a chance, you know, you know to go on a stretch here, maybe win a couple ball games before we play Alabama. But what is the psyche of that team after getting beat and kind of reminded by Florida? Yeah, got, you know, no. No, no, you change coaches, whatever you want to do. No, 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 not going to work. And it didn't work. And give Dan Mullen some credit for putting that game away. All right, so I like Mizzou to win the game because they're at home. Usually when it's a toss-up game between two comparable teams, I favor the home team. And that's the thing about Mizzou. If they can just get a stop or two, and, you know, the quarterback play at Tennessee has been kind of spotty, right? So – I don't know that they can consistently sustain drives without some Mizzou help. But when I look at these games with Mizzou, they beat Central Michigan by 10 in week one. They lose on the road at Lexington 35-28 in a game they, they could have won. They just got in too big a hole early on, made some mistakes early. Kentucky made them pay. They blast SEMO 59-28, and then they lose in overtime last week to BC. And so you, know, you look at this and you say, you know what, these guys could be 4-0. You know, I venture to say, you know, offensively, they're one of the more dangerous two and two teams offensively. It's just they've got to find a way to get some stops uh, defensively because, like, they, they have allowed at least 24 points a game in every game. And that's going to determine this one. What can Mizzou do to the Tennessee offense? If they can get enough stops, they're going to win the ball game. And that kind of seems like, uh, you know, kind of goes without saying. But I think that's what it boils down to. I do believe Missouri can score on Tennessee – I think Tennessee can score on Mizzou. It's going to boil down if Mizzou can get a, a, a stop late and kind of get them off schedule a little bit. So, so that's, again, I think it'll be a very, very entertaining ball game.
the 230 game, there's two of them, the one on CBS and one on the network, uh, and it's Ole Miss at Alabama. When the line came out and said 20 points, I'll be honest with you, I considered putting some money on Ole Miss. I'm like, 20 points? Really? And there's a part of me, I think, you know, Ole Miss may even go over there and, and really scare Alabama to death. 20 points? And if I'm if I'm Lane Kiffin, and thank God I'm not, but if I'm not, if I'm Lane Kiffin, I'm gonna see guys. They don't respect you. Remember what we did last year against them? Do you remember that? We went up there and scored all those points. The granted, the game was over. You know, it was one of those things where, you know, it didn't matter in the end. But a lot of people kind of earned some respect for the Ole Miss offense because of how easily they moved the football against Alabama. Alabama wins that ball game, 63-48. But 48 points against a Nick Saban defense. I mean, how do you not respect it? Listen, I hate those guys as much as anybody. But you, you know, to suggest that perhaps that uh, they're not a good offensive football team is that's just disingenuous. Those guys can really play some offense. So uh, that's kind of where that one sits. I think Ole Miss goes over there and scores some points. I do think Alabama wins. I think what's the latest line? 14 and a half. I think Alabama probably wins a couple touchdowns. But I do think, too, that all this Twitter nonsense with Lane Kiffin is pretty dignified. And listen, one of the things that I liked about Lane Kiffin when he wasn't a coach at Ole Miss is because he was so silly on Twitter. But this, uh, you know, this this Wilburn thing with uh, with ESPN, with pardon the interruption, this has lingered on for days, days. Who is Nick Saban beefing with on Twitter these days? You know? Oh, yeah, me either. It just, you know, it just seems like there's bigger things to worry about. It's like, oh, let's go win on social media. You know, Nick Saban never wins on social media. He just wins on the field and in turn everywhere else. So I like Alabama, but I do think it'll be a very good ball game. I think Ole Miss needs to get a good start. If Ole Miss gets in a hole, they're going to be in trouble because you get in a hole and all of a sudden you become predictable and then the run is not a factor in your offense. So you can't really have the run pass option, right, because those linebackers are just going to stay home and make you throw the football. All right, Troy at South Carolina. You know, Troy is, you know, there was a time when, you know, Troy came in here and beat us. There was a time we went over there and then they nearly beat us there too. Thank you, Chad Bumpus. Um, but they're not going to beat South Carolina. And I, listen, I'll, Shane Beamer has been so good in the media this year. You know, there's a lot of younger coaches out there that, um, you know, might show a little frustration, but I think Shane has handled things really well. You know, George is a better football team in South Carolina. It doesn't mean South Carolina's bad. It doesn't mean that Shane Beamer's bad or turning in the wrong direction. They're just not ready to compete with Georgia. You know, they get in the hole against East Carolina to come back and win. You know, so they're clear, you know, usually, you know, when you have a team that's used to losing and all of a sudden they start losing, they give up. They didn't give up. I think Shane's going to be okay. And I really question the hire. I know he worked really hard to get that job. Uh, they'll win this week. They'll go to three and two. Trying to get the bow eligibility, right, Shane? All right, Florida's at Kentucky. I'm not a Kentucky fan. And, uh, you know, it's like they're a good team this year. They're not great. Now, I'll be honest with you, they're, they're better than I expected them to be. I don't think that shows up this week, though. You know, they're 4-0 and right now. And, uh, you know, look at their schedule early in the year. I thought, you know, they could conceivably, you know, go 5-7 and seven this year. I thought, you know, they could, they could miss a bowl game. Well, they're two games away from being bowl eligibility. But let's, let's take a look at this, though. You know, they beat UL Monroe, they beat Mizzou, they beat UT Chattanooga, really struggled in the ball game, and then they struggled last week to beat South Carolina 16-10. And so, what's the real team here? I don't think they really have an identity yet. You know, a lot of people thought, oh, that offense looks really good after two weeks, and then two weeks later, like, eh, I don't know, but it's offense. So they host Florida 
Then they host LSU. Then they go to Georgia. I got all three of those as losses. Then they come to Mississippi State. That's going to be a loss, too. And then Tennessee goes to Kentucky. And then Kentucky goes to Vandy. And there's New Mexico State. And so, you know, you look at it right now. You know, you got Vandy, New Mexico State. And you got Louisville on there. I mean, yeah, Kentucky's a ball team. They are. Should be. Should be. But, again, I don't, I don't think it's um, – I don't think it matches the hype, but at the same time, too, they're 4-0. You know, so it's hard to argue against 4-0, even though the last two weeks have been incredibly unimpressive. You remember, they trailed UT Chattanooga late, and then there's a pick six that allowed Kentucky, you know, put the game away. And then last week, you know, South Carolina gave them all kinds of struggles. And so it's like, now you look at this thing, you know, where is the Kentucky offense? Where is the Kentucky offense? They're going to need a lot of offense against Florida this week. I like Florida in this game. I know it's in Lexington, and I don't care. I think Emory Jones and a quarterback run is going to be a little too much for Kentucky to handle. But to be fair, you know, Coach Stoops has done a really good job over the years with those odd man fronts kind of giving Dan Mullen some trouble. So it'll be interesting to see what he does, you know, with the Florida brand of athlete, you know, against Kentucky. You know, because for years and years and years, Florida never lost to Kentucky, and then Dan did. So we'll see what happens. I think Florida wins this game. I think Kentucky continues to struggle on offense. There's a lot of moving parts, man. When you bring in a new coordinator, you got a new coach, you know, it's just – it's difficult. UConn is at Vanderbilt. It feels weird to pick Vanderbilt, but, man, UConn is not good. I mean, I mean Vanderbilt could, could have two wins. They could be two and three at this point. And you remember what they did last week. Oh, my gosh. It's like I go back and I think about these numbers, like – the Georgia game against Vanderbilt. I mean, it is, uh, it's incredible to think that these two teams are in the same league, but I think it just goes to show you the difference between, you know, kind of where things are and where things could be in the SEC if you have a couple slack years in recruiting. You know, Vanderbilt's one in three on the year. I, I like them to win this ball game you know, for a couple reasons. Number one, they're home, and the fact that UConn hadn't won a game, right? That's an easy pick, right? Here are the UConn scores if you haven't kept up, and I know many of you have not. They get beat by Fresno State 45-0. That's a long trip too, right? My goodness, all the way to Fresno, California. Then they, they lose to Holy Cross 38-28. Then they lose to Purdue 49-0. Then they lose to Army 52-21. And then they nearly won last week against Wyoming 24-22. So they're 0-5 on the year. And they'll head to Vanderbilt and then to UMass. And you start looking at these games, you begin to wonder, what, you know, hey, what's going to happen here? You know. It makes you wonder if UConn won't hire Joe Moorhead. And maybe Joe is above that now. You know, I mean, like, look at the schedule. You begin to wonder, where is UConn going to get a win? They're 0-5. They'll lose at Vandy. They'll probably lose at UMass. Then they play Yale, Middle Tennessee, Clemson, Central Florida, Houston. Okay. So, I mean, they're staring 2-10 and 10 right in the face right now. And they're going to lose against Vanderbilt. Again, Vanderbilt, not a great team, but a chance to kind of give these guys some success. They've struggled the last few years. And uh, you get a couple wins. You know, you're running out of non-conference games, obviously. You know, and so then you're looking at the SEC schedule. So, you know, that they could be staring 2-10 and 10 in the face, but I would submit to you that 2-10 and 10 looks a little bit different. You know, first-year guy, Clark Lee, doing a good job there, Vanderbilt guy. You know, we'll see how things go. But, you know, they should win this game handily, I would imagine. I think we would all probably feel the same. But that's a game that uh, they should win. 
probably not in blowout fashion, but if, if they struggle in this ball game, you know, I mean, I mean, I mean what, what are you looking at? 111, 2 and 10? I mean, does it really make that much of a difference? I think it does, though, if you're Vanderbilt. Auburn at LSU. This is probably the most difficult game to pick all weekend. What's the real Auburn team? What's the real LSU team? I think we all agree LSU not very good, but still really good. Like, they're not elite. They've got elite athletes. They're not a great team. That offensive line, if you guys watched that game as closely as I did, that LSU offensive line did not look like an LSU offensive line. Like, athletically, size-wise, the way they played, they struggled to get out on blocks. They struggled to sustain blocks. They didn't look well-coached. They didn't look like four- and five-star type kids. They look, To be honest with you, they look like some guys that, you know, the developmental guys that you go out and sign to kind of hope for the best. And that surprises because Ed Orgeron is such a line of scrimmage coach. You know, I mean, you know what he does on the defensive side of the football. And listen, when he was at Ole Miss at times, his classes got unbalanced because he wouldn't sign enough offensive linemen. And Houston Nutt had to kind of come in there and correct that. But Ed Orgeron has kind of, you know, changed his strategy a little bit and gone out and got some good offensive linemen while at LSU. That's why they won an AFL championship. That and Joe Burrow and Joe Brady. But my point being is that he understands the importance of allocating some grants to help win on the offensive line. They did not look like a great offensive line last week against us. I thought Mississippi State controlled the line of scrimmage on both sides of the line. We were the more physical football team. We just didn't win enough. Didn't score enough to win. Simple as that. Now, Auburn, this is an interesting team, and I don't even really know if we know much about them at all. But I think they're just a good team. I don't think they're a really good team. I don't think they're a great team, and I think they're going to get out-athleted in Baton Rouge. You know, they win the first week 60-10 to 10 over the Akron Zips. They beat Alabama State 62 to nothing, and everybody's like, man, look at this offense. And I'm thinking, I could call those plays against those teams and win big. And then they go on the road to Happy Valley and get beat 28-20 to 20 by Penn State. And, you know, and how great is Penn State? I don't know that we know, but, you know, that, that win looks pretty good as long as Auburn has a number next to their name, and I think that probably changes. They dropped this week from 22-23 to 23 after beating Georgia State 34-24. And that's a ball game, too, where Auburn was outplayed. They were. And I think everybody that watched that game, was like, like you get home, you're like, what, what, what? Georgia State is hanging in there? Yeah, yeah, they are. And they punched Auburn in the mouth with the running game. Now, that's where you look at this thing with LSU. LSU has not been able to run the football because of that that offensive line that is just, you know, does not fit what you'd expect an LSU offensive line to look at. And so LSU, I don't think, is going to be able to run the football. I don't know if they have to, though. But I think they can in some respects. I think Auburn probably gets a bit of a break, too, because that, that offensive line has kind of struggled, you know, to really shove people around. So, Auburn's got to be able to defend the forward pass, and I just don't know that they have the athletes to match up on the outside. That's not to say that Auburn's not athletic in the secondary. They are. I just think LSU collectively has one of the best groups of wide receivers in the country. They're young. They're developing. You know, Deion Smith, those guys, Malik Neighbors, they're going to have some big years at LSU. And you've got a great quarterback there as well. And so, you know, I think they'll throw it around a little bit. I think also think that, you know, LSU – defensively is athletic enough to run with Auburn. You know, when I saw us last week against them, against LSU, I, I, I didn't – I don't think you could tell who the more talented team was. You know, there have been so many times that, you know, that Auburn defensive front has overwhelmed us or as linebackers have been so good 
They didn't, they didn't have to be sideline to sideline backers. They were so quick. They could just be tackle to tackle backers because they could set the edge so quickly because they were so much faster than everybody else on the field. And so this is an interesting matchup. But I'm going with LSU at home. It's, it's so tough to win under the lights of LSU at Tiger Stadium. And uh, many of you have been there and enjoyed those games there uh, when we've won, which are few and far between. You know, we won down there in 91. We got cheated in 99. We won in uh, 14. But um, this LSU team, again, not really sure what to think about them. I think Auburn and LSU is really a toss-up game. And, again, you go with the home team more times than not. But, you know, LSU really played uninspired against UCLA. It was 17-7 against McNeese State in the third quarter, and they finally put them away. That's the difference in the weight program there. And then 49-21 winners against Central Michigan. But LSU jumped all over Central Michigan early in that ball game and kind of suffocated them. And, of course, they come here and get the big lead 28-10 thanks to some of our miscues. And, like, I read these comments and people say, oh, you know, Mississippi State scored some garbage touchdowns. Like, you know, LSU scored some garbage touchdowns early in the second half. And you know what? All those touchdowns count. But it wasn't a situation here where you say, well, LSU was just that much better than Mississippi State. Again, I think LSU is a, is a pretty average team when we let them off the hook. I think we're going to look back at that at the end of the year and say, how in the world do we lose to these guys? This is going to boil down to what's going to happen in the quarterback situation at Auburn, right? You saw that last week, right, that they bench Knicks and bring in Finley, and he leads a big comeback, and they win the game. So what do you do? You know, and it's probably best, you know, if I'm Harrison, I don't say. I don't tell them what I'm going to do. I'm going to let those guys, you know, kind of figure it out. I'm not going to tell them this is who we're going to play. I'll make them prepare for two quarterbacks. That's just good coaching. Yeah, and what's so interesting, too, they get down in that ball game, guys, 24 to 12. Georgia State runs up 21 points there in the second quarter and then is shut out in the second half. That tells me Auburn knows how to make some adjustments. And maybe the moment got a little bit too big for Georgia State. But, um, you know, Auburn, 15 points there in the final quarter. Uh, to win the game. So, I like the matchup. I think it's a fun game to watch. I won't be able to watch it. You guys can flip back and forth. I'll be at College Station, Texas, if I can ever get out of the house. Um, But the bottom line is, it's a great week of college football in the Southeastern Conference and a lot of even matchups. I mean, even even like, even Arkansas, Georgia, well, well, I think Georgia is the favorite for, for good reason. Sam Pittman will have those guys at Arkansas believing they can play with Georgia. And Florida going into Kentucky, I'm sure the Kentucky folks are thinking, yeah, that's a, come on, Dan, come on back down here, right? So, you know, there are going to be some very spirited games this weekend. You know, and to be honest with you, if I look at these games and say, okay, you know, I think the UConn-Vanderbilt game will be kind of sloppy. I think the state A&M game could be kind of sloppy. You know, it wasn't too long ago, A&M ranked sixth in the country, now they're 15th. I said then they're overrated. I still believe they are. I think we got a chance to go in there and get this ball game. And, and – it's like it's so easy. I say, oh, man, I'm, I feel like such a homer sometimes. I pick us to beat LSU, and we should have beat LSU. And we should beat A&M. And, again, it's not because I think that we're great. It's just because that I think they're pretty pedestrian. And I think the weather could really inhibit their ability to move the football. So we'll see how things progress. We'll see how things go. I'm eager to get there. If you've never been to Kyle Field, you're kind of missing out. It's a really cool place. I mean, it really is. All the little pageantry and stuff like that, I know some of it's very different, you know. But uh, if you've never been, you owe it to yourself to go. So if you're on the fence about going, let me encourage you to do so. Uh, we've had some good nights out there in College Station. You know, we, we, you know that, that's, that's been a series that we've actually played pretty well in. 
uh, most of the SEC media appears to uh, to have forgotten those sorts of things. But um, yeah, we have done really well down there. All right, last segment of the show brought to you by the fine folks at Portico. Brooks Bryan, longtime friend of mine, longtime supporter of Mississippi State. Got family over there in Philadelphia. So this isn't just some guy that's like, you know, showing up and hanging around. This is a guy that believes in Starkville, believes in Mississippi State. I was actually by there today. I had to go over there and um, handle some business today. And, uh, you know, Portico is so conveniently located, right? And they're actually doing some work right there at the West Point Road Bridge, old West Point Road Bridge, so that kind of improving the infrastructure right there around where your new home is going to be. It's very easy to get to. You turn off 82 onto 12, like going to campus. You take the right on Pat Station Road, and you'll see that construction there to the left. You pass to the intersection, and there's Portico. 1.1 miles from the Mississippi State University campus. It's where you want to be. If I was moving to Starkville, and you never know, I may move again. And if I do, that's the first place I'm going to look. That's where I, I, w- I would like to be closer to campus in some new construction, right? A newer neighborhood, because probably my next move is probably my final move, unless I win a lottery or something. And then you folks will probably never see me again. Um, but that's the reality of it. I mean, it's a cool place to live, really close to campus. And it's on the backside of campus, so it's quiet. You're right there by that neighborhood market. And you know what? You don't have to go fight all that traffic on 12. But you can go right out there and jump on 82 and take, you know, kind of bypass all that and go back around to the big Walmart if you need to. It's a great place to live. You get a two-bedroom, 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 two-bath home, four-bedroom, four-bath home, and everything in between. Whether it be your primary residence or an investment property or perhaps your ball game retreat, Portico is the best way to go. Let me give you Brooks' number. And he's got some great stories about Mississippi State baseball and loves to talk baseball. Loves to. 601-416-8075. 601-416-8075. And, of course, if you don't have the number and you don't have time to write it down, shoot me a message. I'll send it to you. I've actually had a couple people do that in the last couple months. Say, hey, what's the name of that place, Portico? Tell me about that. Yeah. yeah call Brooks. He'll answer all your questions. Phase one's done. Phase two, we're getting rolling there. So, again, it's just, you know, it's so close to campus. You've always wanted to live in Starville anyway. Make Portico your next move. We spoke earlier this week about the 2000 snowball. Had a lot of reaction to that, too. A lot of you guys reached out and said, hey, Steve, thanks for sharing that story. It's great memories, and it was. Man, what a wild scene that was. And I was just thinking more about, you know, these weekends we've had with A&M. And um, I want to talk about a time that we lost at A&M. But it was one of those almost a program-changing moment for us in many respects. I'm going to go back to the 2013 season. You guys remember that, I'm sure. It's a difficult year for us. It really was. Really a difficult year for us. And, um, you know, we began the year that year. We, we have the game at Oklahoma State against uh, – pardon me, the game in Houston, Texas, in Reliance Stadium against Oklahoma State. We get beat 21-3. We lose Justin Malone, Kendrick Market, Nico Parsley tears in ACL. Tyler Russell gets hurt. That lingers the rest of the year. We felt really good about our team that year. And we went up there, and not only did we lose, we got beat up, and it impacted the remainder of the season. You know, the next week we, we get Alcorn State. We get them 51-7. to You know, again, it's Alcorn State, and all due respect to the Braves, you know, it's just one of those games you look at and say, okay, we're going to make this thing happen. 
And it was a chance really to get Dak Prescott a chance to go do something and kind of run his own show. Because, you know, he'd kind of been the red zone quarterback at times and kind of been the gadget guy, but it had been Tyler Russell's team. And so we get we put Dak out there against Alcorn State. Damian Williams played a little bit too, but Dak was the guy. 12 of 19 for 174 yards. Kind of put the game away. And just so you guys know, Devin Bell also had a passing attempt in the game, right, punter? Uh, Dak Prescott ran it a little bit, you know, four for 20, had a touchdown. The game was never really in, in question. Well, the next week, you know, Dak starts, you know, against Auburn and uh, had a chance to win the game. You know, there was one play where Dak got kind of a little bit indecisive, could have had a first down for us, didn't go get it, and then ultimately we turned it over. We lose 24-20. But not a lot of people gave us a chance. The next week, Troy comes in. We beat them 62-7, to absolutely drilled them, just kind of out-athleted them. And we get hammered by LSU, 59-26. I mean, that's just one of those ball games too. It, like, it seemed like, uh, you know, maybe we had a chance to play with them a little bit, and uh, they, they let us know pretty quick that we didn't. It's 14-9 after one, and then we get closer. If I remember this one correctly, I think we gave up a touchdown right before the half that really gave LSU a little breathing room there. Let me check that while, while we're here together. Um, it seems like, as we used to call it, the Mullen Malays. You know, it's like, okay, we got a chance to get in the half here. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, it's, it's 23-21 state in the second quarter. And this is with Mettenberger and Jarvis Landry. And, I mean, you know, th- I mean, it's, you know, it's studs. So we're up 23-21, and we actually get a stop and, uh, and get the ball back you know, at about four minutes to go, and it's like we just want to kind of run the clock out. And um, and we don't. We end up giving them the ball back with a minute and 30 – excuse me, with two minutes and ten seconds to go, and Medenberger just absolutely shreds us, goes down the field, and they score to put themselves up at the half, you know, with 17 seconds. And then in the second half, it was all Tigers. I mean, it just was. But, again, we kind of felt, you know, hey, we're a little bit better than our record indicates, and we struggled to beat Bowling Green, but we do. And we struggle to beat Kentucky, but we do. And so you're like, okay, all right, we got we got four wins already. You know, we got some room to play with here. And then from there, it just life just began to really change for us. You know, Dak Prescott's mom, Peggy Prescott, was very, very ill from cancer. And um that was on Dak's mind. You know, we go up there and he didn't play well at South Carolina, and we get beat 34-16. And uh Dak really, really had a difficult game. And there were a lot of people and many of you that are calling for Will Rogers to get benched, we're calling for Dak Prescott to get benched in that game. Um, and so those are the things that I think about in hindsight. And, um, you know, it's like we all are prisoners of the moment. You know, it's one of those things where there's just – we want Mississippi State to win so bad. And it's like, hey, if this guy's not going to do it, let's get somebody that can. Well, we're, we can't go sign a free agent. But Dak lost his mom and um, – I want to say they flew him home the day after the South Carolina game. He missed some practice time. We were getting Tyler ready to go. And, um, you know, Dak said, you know what, I couldn't miss a game. You know, said my mom wouldn't have stood for that. And so Dak Prescott goes to College Station, Texas, just days removed from burying his mother in a season that had been very difficult for us. And we all knew Dak was the future, right? We knew the offense was changing. 
Dak Prescott goes down there and just puts on a performance that earns so much respect. We just we didn't quit. And a lot of it's because the team kind of rallied around Dak. And at this point, he wasn't Dak yet. He was Dak Prescott. He wasn't he wasn't the guy just yet. We get down in this ball game and Dak just wouldn't quit. And he wouldn't quit. And he wouldn't quit. And he wouldn't quit. And it's just Johnny Manziel's game, right? It's just Johnny Manziel's final day, you know, in College Station, Texas, and that was supposed to be a coronation. And incredibly, we went out there and we really made a game of it. We just couldn't finish. We actually had 30 first downs to their 29, and 17 of them on the ground. We did a really, really good job of kind of keeping Menzel in the pocket, you know, not letting him run the football. A&M only runs for 91 yards on the day. We ran for 300. Just a shade under, 299. We ran trying to keep them off the field. You know, they threw for 446, and uh, we did have some bust on the day. But at the end of the day, we outgained them 556 yards to 537. And that's when people said, you know what, this Prescott kid can really play. He can really, really play. Well, we had some mistakes in, in the return game, you know, that really kind of burn us in the ball game. You know, they, they, there was some non offensive touchdowns scored for them that. You know, we just couldn't make tackles. You know, we just weren't a great defensive team at times that year. And I think maybe the moment was a big, big for us as well. I don't know. But that's when Dak really became Dak, I believe. You know, so we all had these hopes. But we had, all of a sudden, now we had the evidence in this ballgame. Dak Prescott goes 14 of 26 for 149 yards and two touchdowns. We did have a big, a big pick there that killed the drive. Prescott goes 16 carries for 154 yards. And you know he was playing for his mom. You know he was. Played through some pain, and he got dinged up on the shoulder, and that ended up being an issue the rest of the year. Josh Robinson, six carries for 73 yards. Dan, why didn't we give him the football more, right? Six, and and one of them was a 51-yard touchdown run. Uh, Perk. Goes 17 carries for 55. Probably Josh probably should have got a little few more there, Coach. Perk was averaging 3.2 yards a carry. Josh 12.2. Of course, a lot of that's because of that gaudy run. Ashton Shumpert a couple of carries too for uh, 16 yards. But you look at this, you know, this is one of those moments in Mississippi State football history. You know, when people look back and say, okay. When did Dak Prescott become like a superstar? I mean, like they just like show off from day one. No, this, this, to me, in my mind, this is the game on the road and really kind of up, upsold or, or upstaged Johnny Manziel in some respects, just because of the fact at the end of the day, that's all anybody wanted to talk about was Dak Prescott, about what a warrior he was late in that ball game. Yeah, and this ball game, in many respects, you know, should have been over, but State just wouldn't quit. We just wouldn't quit. Dak wouldn't quit, and the team rallied around him. I mean, guys, it was it's a 30-14 to 14 ball game, midway through the third quarter. You think, okay, the game is over. No. We go right down and score again, and it's a 30-20 to 20 game. We went for two, and it was picked. You know, we're going for two to kind of get within one score, right? So it's a 10-point game, you know, get down to the end of the third quarter, and then to cap the quarter – you know, Manziel leads a drive. It's a big pass to Mike Evans. Now it's 37-20. Okay, the game's over, right? No, no. No, it's not over because Dak and State wouldn't quit. We're down 17 going to the fourth quarter, and we wouldn't quit. What do we do? We get a touchdown pass. We run a little trick play. 
Jimmy and Lewis hits Joe Morrow for 31-yard touchdown. Now we're within 10 again because we wouldn't quit. Then A&M comes right back down and scores again. It's 44-27. The game's over, right? Wrong. No, it wasn't over. Even this is when this really kind of killed us here. The next drive, Dak threw a pick to Deshaun Hall. And so they go down and score now. It's 51-27. The game is over, right? Well, maybe. But we still wouldn't quit. We put together a big drive. We go down go down the field, and uh, Perk scores on a rushing touchdown there. Big pass, big pass to Bear Wilson. Got us inside the red zone. God rest his soul. So now it's 51-35 with still seven minutes to go in the game. We wouldn't quit. And you'd say, okay, well, you know, A&M still, they'll go down and score. They didn't. Defense gets a stop. And what do we go do? We go down and score again. This time, Tyler Russell, so we had to pull Dak from the game. Just getting beat up out there. Couldn't pick his arm up anymore. And Tyler Russell comes in. We throw a touchdown to Barry Wilson. That's 51-41. I mean, it's academic at this point. But it's like, you know, we could have easily gotten blown out in this ball game, And people were expecting us to. But we didn't. There was no doubt about who was going to win the game. But I thought we learned a lot about ourselves, and we learned a lot about Dak Prescott. That here we are. You know, we're at Kyle Field. It's the swan song for Johnny Manziel. He's going to ride off into the Texas sunset into the end with NFL millions. But instead, a new star was born, even in defeat that night. And, of course, Dak didn't play the next couple of weeks. You know, and I remember, you know, I remember Tyler Russell, and, 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 man, God bless Tyler Russell, man. That kid gave us so much of himself. He loved Mississippi State, still does. He goes over to Alabama, and, you know, we lose the ball game 20-7, to 7, and, uh, and that was a great Alabama team too. You know, but Tyler Russell went out there and played, played. He was hurt the whole year, had multiple injuries. But he goes out there and we go play Alabama, and, uh, you know, he guts it out. Gives us a competitive ball game. We just simply couldn't run the football without. We didn't have the, you know, Dak out there. It's a quarterback run, and so Alabama, you know, really kind of contained our running game, only 53 yards in the game, and so we lose 20 to seven. But I don't think anybody left the game thinking, you know what, hey, Dan Mullen needs to be fired. There were a few people that felt that way, but we lost that ball game, and we knew we had to go to Arkansas and win, and we do. Tyler Russell. His last game in a uniform absolutely goes out there and plays through the pain, gets the game into overtime. Thanks to Nico Wildey with the big strip there. You know, Alex Collins and those guys trying to salt it away, going to kick a field goal to go up 10 late, but instead we strip it out. We get to overtime. Damian Williams scores on a 25-yard run, quarterback run there, and then Tavez Calhoun with a pick to see what we win 24-17. So it boils down then we got to win the Egg Bowl, right? we got to win the Egg Bowl, and we're short two quarterbacks. Tyler Russell, done for the year. Dak Prescott hadn't been able to practice, couldn't lift his arm above his shoulder, couldn't throw the football. So we start Damian Williams. And then late in the ball game, you know, we Dak could practice some later in the week. We bring him in, and we win the, we win the Egg Bowl. <laughs> we get bowl eligible, and we go and win Liberty Bowl and uh, with a healthy Dak and just roll right through those guys. But – you know, you point back to those moments in the program history, you look back and say, okay, well, when, you know, when did this guy kind of come to prominence? You know, for me, and maybe, maybe you see it differently, but I think that's when we kind of realized we had something special with Dak Prescott. 
because I don't think Dak accepted the natural order of things. I don't think Dak looked at it and said, hey, Mississippi State's supposed to lose this game, so we don't have to play as hard. No, I think he's like, you know what, hey, we can go play with these guys. We can go beat these guys. And so as a result, he elevated the level of talent around him. I think you got some guys on this team that have some of that, those same qualities. Do they have the same abilities, Dak Prescott? I'm not going to suggest that. But you've got some guys that aren't bought into this poor old Mississippi State narrative. Some of our fans are. And to be honest with you, it's really irritating. It really is. I'm not a loser. I don't associate with losers. I may have been born a Bulldog, but I'm doing the best I can to kind of help tell our story and also, too, uh, try to beat back some of this poor old Mississippi State stuff. And it's just like I told you guys we're out in Omaha. The, the, I remember like it was yesterday after we lost that game to Texas. You know, we, Parker Stinnett gives it the big home run to Ivan Melendez. And it was a guy outside. You know, I, I'm sitting there thinking, I think we're okay. I think we're, we're going to be okay. And the guy, he's, man, it's just dogs being dogs. You know, not the dogs that I know. No. Maybe, maybe your dogs. But not the Mississippi State Bulldogs. You know, maybe the Bulldogs of your grandfather's day. Maybe the Bulldogs of our childhood. This is a different day and time. And my hope is, you know, by us winning an NFL championship, we can kind of keep some of that stuff, you know, out of our minds now. But we're always expecting something negative to happen to us. I think we're good enough. And I wish everybody else did too. All right, before we get out of here, if you hadn't done so, go to dogpilethebook.com and pre-order your copies of Dogpile. I was speaking last night, had several people came up and said, Steve, where can we pre-order? It's dogpilethebook.com. While you're there, you can get signed copies of Flim Flam, Alpha Dogs, and Stark Villains. If you'd like to have those shipped out there, go ahead and do it. Just kind of mention that in your notes. If you have personalization instructions included in the notes, there is a note section. If you message me on social media, it's not going to get done because I'm not going to remember that. I've had many of you I always direct you, hey, go back to the website itself and go to the Contact Us link and, and send them a message, and hopefully they'll pair that up. But I'm, I'm not going to remember. I'm just telling you. I'm being honest with you. If you're looking for Blooms of Oleander, and I still have people messaging me about that every day, you can go to Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com, BooksandMegan.com. Just Google Steve Roberts and Blooms of Oleander. They'll find it for you or your local bookstore. And I encourage you to shop local whenever you can, whether it be books, food, clothing, whatever. Support small independent business whenever you can. Uh, you can find Blooms of Oleander there. And uh, speaking of small business, every time I wear a Stark Villain shirt, somebody asks you where I got it. Very simple, StarkVillains.com. You can get T-shirts, hoodies, uh, all kind of good stuff there. Appreciate everything those folks have done for us. Again, StarkVillains.com. All right, I'm going to finally get out of here. I wanted to leave before noon. Didn't work out. Had a million things to do. You know, it's the first, first of the month. You got to go you know, make deposits, all that kind of stuff. And it gets away from you in a hurry. And so I'm going to go calm down a little bit. I'm going to turn on some rock and roll, probably listen to that dread list, right? And then uh, I'm going to get to Texas around midnight, I guess, and I'll get into bed, spend some time with family, drive over to College Station, cover Mississippi State winning a football game, and I'm going to drive back on Sunday. And then I'm probably going to do, depending on, um, you know, I'll do a Facebook Live one day early next week. I, I've been kind of remiss in doing that. My schedule has been a lot more fragmented than I hoped it would be at this point. But um, it's October now. And so before you know it, Christmas is going to be here. So let me encourage you, uh, go out and get your dog pile orders in now and your Stark Villains t-shirt and hoodie stuff now so you can celebrate that. That's great gifts for the kids, right, and for yourself. And I know that it's so interesting, too. I'll meet so many of these people, and they're like, I didn't realize you had so much going on. And, uh, it, you know, to me, it doesn't feel like work. I mean, I love what we do, 
And I love the work we do over at jeanspage.com. I'm so glad we've got such a great team there. And uh, it's really been great. You know, in the beginning, I was really apprehensive about the whole thing. It's been, it's been wonderful. I think once everybody kind of calmed down a little bit, it's been, uh, it's been a really good thing. And so if you're not a subscriber to Jeans Page, let me encourage you to go over there and check that out. And because of the fact that we've had this army of people that kind of help, you know, kind of help hold the rope, it's given me some time to do some other things. And so uh, jeanspage.com is to focus now moving forward. And I hope that um, you know, I'm not going to plan on writing a book for a while. I say that now. It may, may feel differently in the spring. May eventually get around to writing that recovery book and finishing that thing up next year. So we'll see. It's hard to believe, though. Five books in four years. And uh, really proud of that. And uh, thank you so much for all your support. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.